But in the church, how many of you know what the prophetic means? And I use that in quote, but prophetic means to hear the voice of God for a now thing. It means to, what is God saying now? What, what is, you know, and obviously anything prophetic never pulls away from what God has spoken to his, in his word at large, but he could pull something from that and speak it to you now. And one of the things that I've discovered about the prophetic is even prophetic people can get caught in uh, thinking that the prophetic is one thing, is that, well, this is what prophetic looks like, and this is the expression of how prophetic ministry looks like, and that's what we do. But one thing I discovered over the years but is really to be prophetic is to hear what the voice of God is decreeing over you now, regardless of what that looks like, it's to lean into a now season. What I've learned in ministry is, is that sometimes the greatest prophetic seasons of ministry that we've entered into maybe haven't been the expression that uh, the charismatic church would say would be the right expression of that because maybe God said in this season, I want you to dive in to the word and preaching on the word and standing on the word. Come on, somebody. So the expression of God for that season would be to preach, to stand, to declare his word. And there might be less prophecy in that season, less manifestation of the gifts of the spirit in that season. Because for God said, in this season, I want you to speak my word. Are you with me? But in obeying that, we are being prophetic. Because we're hearing, what are you saying in this season? And in this season, we respond however you said to to do it. Come on, somebody, right? It's, it's like, you know, it, it's simply as when you tell a kid, here's what I want you to do, just do it. Easy, right? Not so much sometimes. <laughs> but I want to talk to us today about leaning in to a now season. Leaning in to a now season. And what I discovered is Harvard actually did a study, and what they found was, of the time, your mind isn't where your feet are. Your mind isn't where your feet are. You might be in the room this morning, but you're thinking about everything else, right? You're thinking about lunch. You're thinking about all you have to do today. Is this guy ever going to shut up? You know, all of these different things. Our culture has so engrafted us into this instantaneous Thing where even, you know, scrolling through social media, the 30-second video clips, and within two or three seconds, if you're not engaged, what do we do? We keep scrolling until we're engaged. They found that the average cell phone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day. Extreme users, the top 10%, touches their phones more than 5,400 times a day. I don't know where you fall in that mix, but... So it's engrafted into us to keep swiping to the next, keep swiping to the next. And what I fear is that if we keep swiping to the next, we will never lean in to the prophetic word of God of what he has called us to do in a particular season. Well, because I'm not engaged by that anymore. Swipe, swipe, swipe. What I found is Jesus offers us a better way to live. Jesus was always fully present in the moment. Jesus always lived with this essence of undivided attention in the moment. 
In the book of Luke, we see these back-to-back stories where Jesus is going into Jericho. There are large crowds around Jesus. There is always large crowds around Jesus. And this blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And because of all that was going on, the disciples actually started to rebuke the guy. But Jesus pushed through the crowd. He pushed through the noise. He pushed through the rebuke of his disciples. And he stopped and said to the guy, what do you want me to do for you? Which even within itself is like, well, Jesus, like, okay, one plus one equals two. You can heal blind people, and there's a blind guy crying out. Like, but I think it was more the fact that Jesus wanted to pause in the midst of the chaos and let, he could have just like spit or blew or threw water on or anything or just spoke the word and the man would have gotten up. I think the fact that Jesus paused and asked the man, what is it that you want me to do? Was Jesus trying to prove that he took interest in the moment of where that man was? That he would be present in the moment despite everything else going on around him. Jesus stopped for this one. The story goes on in Luke and Jesus is continues to walk, and again, he's interrupted because he sees this short, wee little man named Zacchaeus. I can't say Zacchaeus without saying short, wee little man, and uh, that's just because of my raising in the church in the 80s. If you knew that song, you know the song, right? And uh, Jesus stops, looks at Zacchaeus, and says, Zacchaeus, come down. Let me come to your home. And again, the disciples are like, hey, he's not the guy we want to stop for. He's a crooked tax collector. He's been stealing from people, not the one you want to associate with. And Jesus pauses everything else and goes and eats with Zacchaeus and says, today, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house. What an incredible way to live, to be fully present, fully in the moment. I want to learn to be like that. I want to learn to be in the moment. I have to tell myself quite often when I'm in conversation, my mind often will start drifting and I realize I'm looking over the person's shoulder. Not that I do it with anybody here. But I remind myself, no, 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 be present, be present. I do that when I read. I'll find that I read a whole page and then realize, I know I read the words, but I was also thinking about something else and I couldn't quite tell you what happened. So I force myself to stop and go back. And how many of you do that? You have a mind or a brain like that, where it's like, I know I read the words, I just wasn't in the moment. How much better would our lives be if we just lived in the moment? Lived where God's called us to live. Minister to those who are in front of us. Love those who are in front of us. Obey the prophetic voice of God by doing whatever he puts in front of you to do right now in this moment, in this season. That's where we lean in. But here's where our society really has programmed us the wrong way. Because when we aren't engaged, we swipe forward. But living in the moment is just not about the happy moments. It's about being present in all moments. The annoying moments, right? I'm reminded of Mary and Martha. It's found in Luke 10. Friends of Jesus' ministry, Jesus goes into their home. And let me read this part to you. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered the village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. 
And she called her sister Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Wow. I mean, it is Martha's home. She does have an obligation to provide for her guest. She should be a hospitable host and make sure that everybody has what they need, that things are going well, right? So it's not that she was in the wrong altogether, but Jesus looks at her and says, listen, what you're doing won't last. What Mary has chosen will not be taken away from her. She leaned in to the moment. After all, this was the savior of the world sitting in the home. Like, if there's any time to lean in, it's in this moment. So he looks at Martha and says, Martha, Mary has received something that will never be taken away from her. Maybe God wants to provide something in our soul and in our heart and in our spirit that will never be taken away from us. But we won't get alone enough. We won't get quiet enough. We won't be present in the moment enough to allow God to speak to us the things that he prophetically wants to speak to us in a moment. I'm a worshiper. Many times my communication with God is through worship, through song, through in the car, just raising my hands. And, you know, but there have been times to me where it's just like, Jim, just shut up. Just shut up. Just lean in. Just lean in. We can't go through life wishing away our current moment. We shouldn't miss what we have now in pursuit of what we want later. What we do is we play in our minds the when and then game. When this happens, then. When my kids are out of diapers, then I'll be happy. And then when my kids learn to clean their rooms, then I'll be happy. When my kids go to college, I have more time for myself. And then your kids are gone and in college and all you want to do is track them down and, and invade their personal space and you know, spend as much time with them as you can. Why? Because you gave up what you had in front of you for the then. You sacrificed your now for the then. We also play the what and if game. What if I don't pass the test? What if I don't get into the right school? What if I get a bad job? What if the economy happens? What if, you know, I can't find a house that I can afford? What if, you know, my spouse, all these what ifs. But that's why Matthew 6, 34, Jesus says, listen, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow will worry about itself. What is he saying? Lean in to where you are today. He's not saying don't plan, don't make preparation. If Martha was a little bit wiser, she would have planned more and had everything ready when Jesus came, right? But come on, he said, go ahead and, and, and plan, but don't worry about it. Tomorrow may not even happen. 
So don't sacrifice the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Lean in to today. Lean in to what's in front of you. Lean in to your current circumstance. Lean in to where you are. Trust God where you are. Serve God where you are. Praise God where you are. Lift your hands where you are. Sing songs where you are. Don't wait until it's better. Lean in where you are. Why don't we like to live in the moment? I think it really comes down to a lack of faith with the what ifs about tomorrow. Like God's not big enough to be in our tomorrow. Like God's not big enough to make preparation for tomorrow. Come on, some of you have been through some mess, some stuff. Oftentimes I always say, I, w- I wish our church knew half of the stories of the people who are sitting around you, the things that these people have walked through. And you're here. You made it. You're still, most of the time, in the sound mind. <laughs> Sometimes I question. But, but you're still here. You made it. So come on, if God could bring you through all of that trial, all of that circumstance, all of that mess, all of that abuse, all of that trouble, all of those financial problems that you laid awake night after night after night worrying about and crying about and your kids and you weren't sure, but here you are still standing, still living, still serving God and you made it this far. He didn't bring you this far to start failing you now. So his history gives me confidence that he'll take care of my future. His history of dealing in my life gives me confidence that whatever shows up at my door tomorrow, God will still be there. He'll still be a healer. He'll still be faithful. He'll still be providing. He'll still be on the throne. So what's the best thing I can do? I can lean in to my now. I can lean in to my now. You can't be happy where you're not. You can't be happy where you're not. Again, I said, your mind isn't always where your feet are. We will never be happy if we're always living in tomorrow. We'll learn to be happy when we get our mind where our feet are and say, this is what the Lord has provided. I will rejoice. I'll be glad in it. I'll rejoice and I'll be glad in it. You can't serve Jesus where you're not. And you can't love people where you're not. I'm going to give you an example of this. It's found in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 15. And it says this, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So what's happening here? Judas has already betrayed Jesus. Jesus has already died, resurrected from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He, he told the disciples, go meet in the upper room. And now they realize that Judas, because of his betrayal, he you know, went out from there. He, he committed suicide. And, and now there's no longer the 12. There's the 11 disciples. So Peter is, is setting the stage for them to replace Judas as one of the 12 disciples. And I want to just pick for a moment about how I think Judas never really leaned in to where he was. Because, see, it's something to see God work around us 
but it's entirely something else to allow God to work in us. One of the greatest tragedies would be to be here at Hope City Church and to watch all that God is doing and people being saved and uh, TV ministry going around the world to where, again, three people messaged in this week alone that they have accepted Jesus from different parts of the world, that that's happening, that lives are being set free and hearts are being changed. And to see all that God is doing with us as a church and to simply be a spectator in what God's doing. And never being a participant. That's a dangerous place to live. And that's not God's intent. God's intent would be to have you right in the smack dab center of what he's doing now. Everybody just say now. Now. So consider Judas for a minute. Pre his fall. Your Bible says that Jesus knew from the beginning who would betray him. And yet he called the 12, which included Judas. Imagine this for a minute. Judas had an anointing on his life. Jesus actually sent out the disciples at one point to pray for the sick and raise the dead and open blinded eyes. And that would include Judas, so Judas even participated in ministry and in watching God work in the lives of other people. He had an anointing on his life. He was chosen by Jesus himself to heal the sick, to cast out demons. Judas would have preached the good news of the kingdom. Judas was an apostle. He was a part of Jesus' inner circle. He would have watched Jesus make the lame walk. He would have watched Jesus walk on water and feed the 5,000. He would have been there when Jesus calmed the storm. He would have saw when Jesus uh, would raise the widow's son from the dead. He saw Jesus call Lazarus out of the tomb after he had been dead for three days. He would have heard the parables. He would have witnessed Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. He would have heard about the prodigal son. In all of that, He was a witness, but not a participant. Wow. People say, well, why did Judas Judas betray Jesus? Oh, yeah, they offered him some coins, but I don't really believe that was because of the coins. I believe it's because he never truly believed in Jesus. And I can say that because I've witnessed that, because you can hang around church and not believe in Jesus. You can watch signs, wonders, and miracles and not believe in Jesus. You can see it happen in everybody else's world, but not believe in Jesus. You can believe that he exists. You can believe that he's a good teacher. You can believe that in his name is all the power on heaven and earth to do miracles. You can believe that he laid hands on the sick and they recover, but not have a personal saving relationship with Jesus. Listen in John 6, 4. This is Jesus and he's going to his disciples and he's saying, but there are some of you who do not believe. What's happening here? There was a multitude of people. 
And Jesus started saying some hard things, and a bunch of the people begin to leave because that's usually what happens when you say hard things, right? Oh, I'm disengaged. Swipe. Never mind. Swipe. And he goes to his disciples and says, what are you going to leave? Judas believed, sure, Jesus does miracles. Sure, Jesus is popular. But Judas more looked at Jesus and thought, he's good for business. He's good for business. He brings a little extra income because the Bible would say that he was probably taking out of the money pot of Jesus. He sees that Jesus is a way to advance his future because if Judas is the treasurer of the group and Jesus becomes king, as they thought would happen in the natural sense, then he would probably be over the treasury of the entire country. And how good would that be? So Judas looks at Jesus not through the right lens. He's looking about tomorrow, where I could go. I could be the treasurer of the whole nation. I could be a top dog. But the tragedy of Judas is that for three and a half years, he had walked beside the Savior of the world. I wonder when Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son, if he didn't happen to look over and glance at Judas to let Judas know that, hey, there's a moment coming in your future when you'll betray me. But let this story be a reminder to you that the prodigal son could always come home. Because see, Judas's story ends with Judas taking that money, buying a field and hanging himself. How redemptive would it have been if Judas remembered the words of Jesus and ran back to the foot of the cross. We would talk about it for generations of how there was redemption in the life of Judas. But his problem was he never really leaned in to what was in front of him. He never fully embraced the message of Jesus. He was looking about the future. And if you always are looking about tomorrow and not what's in front of you today, you always miss what God's doing in the now. So here are the disciples. Judas is gone, thinking, who do we replace him with? And if you're looking for a hero in the Bible, I think it should be this man. His name was Matthias. And he's mentioned in one passage in the Bible. And again, the disciples are choosing who will be a part of the apostles. It's the highest ranking of the new church. And listen to what some of their qualifications are. Acts chapter 1, verse 21. So one of the men who had accompanied us during, uh, us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out from among us. So what is he saying? He was here from the beginning. Beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us uh, a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward to Joseph, uh, and they put forth uh, Matthias. And they prayed, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take place in this ministry and apostleship. And they cast lots, and the lots fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So again, I want you to hear this. The qualifications were... He had to be there from the beginning to the end. He just had to be present. 
to be there. He never had his eyes fixed on being one of the twelve. If that was his goal, he would have left somewhere along the three and a half years. Because it said he had to be there from the baptism of John. Right? So he wasn't out for position. He wasn't out for promotion. He just wanted to be present. I love that the qualification here wasn't his preaching. It wasn't his singing ability. It wasn't his leadership qualities. It was the fact that he was always present. He just continually showed up. He was faithful in season and out of season. Can I tell you, one of the greatest qualifications I think God is looking for in the earth is not an educational level, is not a, a gifting level, but it's a level of faithfulness because there's a lot of gifted people who will come and who will go, who will serve God when, the, when they feel right, who will praise God when it's going right, but as soon as trouble hits, they stop. And God's not looking for that type of person. He's looking for one who will show up in good, in bad. When you're happy, when you're sad, you just leave Lean in and you keep pressing in towards God. God looks and says, that's the type of person I can use. He was faithful. He was serving behind the scenes with no recognition. No one was praising him. This is the only verse of scripture we ever hear about him. God's trying to tell us he's not choosing based on knowledge, but he's choosing based on loyalty. God has called us sometimes to do things that seem small, but he doesn't overlook our faithfulness. That's why he says, even when you get to heaven and, and you stand in that, that great, the, the, the beam of judgment, he says, he'll say, you know, have you given a cup of water in my name, even to the smallest, most minute things? God sees it all. Yeah. He sees it. He knows there are times where and I'll just use myself in pastoring and in my job, it feels like revival. There are chill bumps on top of my chill bumps and God is in the room. And it's the best job in the world. I'm glad to be called. And there are other Sundays <laughs> where you think you're looking at the clock. I got one right back there. 15 more minutes, 15 more minutes, 14 more minutes. Come on, buddy. I'm joking. <clears throat> but there are other times where it feels like, and I'm, maybe even in your own life, it feels like Jesus has left the building. But he's looking for people who are there when there's goosebumps on your goosebumps. And he's looking for people who are there when it's like, God, are you anywhere? People who lean in to the moment. They're faithful in the word. They're faithful in prayer. They're faithful with their commitment to God. They're faithful to the church. They're faithful whether they feel it or not. They're faithful when they're going through a valley. They don't praise just because the Bible says to. They praise because even though they're in the valley, they are still alive and they're in a valley. I think we have too many greenhouse Christians people who only bloom when they're in a protected environment. And as long as we can keep your environment protected and allow no one to ever offend you and no problems ever come knocking at your door, then you're bloom. But you let somebody offend you once. You let hardship come. You let there be unanswered questions. 
But I do believe we have a church of people who just don't know how to quit. I believe that about you. I believe we have a church of people who we've been through hell, we've been through high water, and here we are. And on top of that, we went through three building remodels. And guess what? Here we are. We've made it. We're still serving God. The doors are still open. His name is still being lifted up in this sanctuary. He's still being glorified. Your kids are still back in there in Kid City learning about the amazing uh, message of the cross. I forgot to say it last week when we were, uh, Renee was sharing, but even just a few weeks ago, my son, Jeremiah, came after church and, and said, Dad, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And to me, that's like incredible. You can praise the Lord for that. I was excited about that. For weeks leading up to that, we'd be in the car, and I'll be real transparent with it because maybe this is only me. And one day when I'm dead and gone, he'll probably come back and listen to these tapes, and, but not for a long time. So, but did any of you have a talkative kid that is good, but then sometimes it's not so good? And I have found that whenever me and my son are in the car, you know, I just want to put the radio on, and I start getting the dad. What's the difference between... God and the devil. Okay. You know, those deep questions. But I found, you know, in my flesh, I want to be like, I don't know, Jeremiah. You know, ask Renee on Sunday. I don't know. She'll, she'll let you know. But what I found is if I lean into those moments, put my flesh aside, engage in conversation for weeks leading up to that, that Sunday, he would be asking. And I, I kept feeling like, should I talk to him about accepting Jesus into his heart? And I just felt, no, not yet, not yet. Let him keep asking. I want him to do it on his own. And there he did it. On a Sunday morning, his Sunday school teacher said, is there anybody in the room who wants to ask Jesus into their heart? And up his hand went. I love it. Anyway. But in that, I've had to learn through those seasons where you just want to tell your kid, would you just, <laughs> I had to push my flesh aside and engage in conversation and be present in the moment. And it's a powerful thing. I know we have a church of people who set their nose to the plow and they press in. And listen, we may not see the reward for everything that happens in our life until we get to heaven. But I want you to know the Bible records every good deed that you've done. And it's storing up treasure. The Bible says it stores treasure to your heavenly account. And you have no idea. Anytime I talk about this, I always think back to Sandy McCarver. And if you don't know who Sandy McCarver is, you haven't heard this story. She was a hippie back in the... Uh, 60s, early 70s, back when the Jesus movement was happening. And she was just a young girl on fire for God. And she was sitting at uh, her doorstep every day and would watch some young woman walk by. And every day she would just feel this urging to pray for that woman. Pray, pray, pray. And she would tell the story and say that she would think to herself, shouldn't I witness to her today? And God would say, no, just keep praying, just keep praying, just keep praying. So finally, one day, this woman again is walking by her doorstep, and finally, Sandy McCarver steps up and says, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. Now, this girl that she had witnessed to had been on drugs, 
partying, living the, you know, hippie lifestyle, everybody, anybody, if you know what I'm talking about, you know, living that type of life. And in comes this woman simply sitting on a porch step and says, I want to tell you about Jesus. The woman that she, Sandy McCarver, witnessed to happened to be my mother, who got on fire for God, went into a church service somewhere, and they were offering the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and she just leaned over to Sandy McCarver and said, do I need that? Sandy said, yep. So my mom just said, okay, I'll go get that. But I always think about that story because I think I am where I am today because of my mother. My mother was where she was because somebody, because Sandy McCarver prayed for her sitting on a doorstep. Now, throughout my 20 years of pastoring, which will this upcoming year will be 20 years, I think about all the lives that I've ministered to. I mean, I'm not just trying to blow numbers here, but I'm sure thousands of people throughout my sermons have come to, to Christ. Sandy McCarver doesn't know about any of that. But because of her faithfulness, she, what she sowed, now every person that I'm sowing into, there's actually a reward going into Sandy McCarver's account because of what she did on a doorstep in the 70s. She's still reaping a harvest from it today, all because she wasn't so busy on her, the busyness of her life, that she was too busy to lean in prophetically to what God was saying. Just lean in. What is he saying? What is he doing? Be present. And that seed in her heavenly account, it's multiplying and multiplying. And as a result of, of the life you've received from this house, every person that you touch and lead to Christ still gets accounted back to Sandy McCarver. I wonder who you've witnessed to on a job don't know the impact that you had. But you have to be faithful. Don't miss the moment. The worst thing we could do is not be a prophetic church. The worst thing we could do is miss when God says, now go. And they'd be like, what? Wait, let's process. Hold on. You miss your moment. Actually, the Scripture in, in, in uh, Revelation where it talks about the seven churches, he says, I've given every church a specific position of opportunity. He says, and if, if they don't lean in, I'll come and I'll remove the candlestick from its place. You know what that means? He will remove the specific position of opportunity. Because when God says now, it's now. When he says go, it's go. If he says wait, then you wait. You lean in where you are. Don't lose what's in front of you because of what could be tomorrow. Don't lose what's in front of you because of what's happened yesterday. Determine that no one is running you off. No, no, your faith will not fail you in the day of your adversary. Come on. So Matthias, every miracle, he was there. Every sermon, he was there. And team, you can come up. One of the greatest things that I think about when I think about Matthias being one of the 12. Again, he's only ever mentioned in that scripture. I don't know what he went on to do as one of the leaders in the new church. But I do know this. The Bible says that in the city of heaven, that the literal foundation of heaven, the names of the apostles are carved 
on the foundations of heaven. Like it, he says there, the, the foundations are made of these 12 like stones and rubies and gems. And on every one, the, the name of an apostle is scribed. So I don't know whatever happened in Matthias's life from there. I don't know where he went, what was next, what was upcoming. But what I do know and what I think is amazing that per that scripture, his name is now scribed on the foundation of heaven as one of the 12. Wow. Simply because he showed up. Simply because he leaned in. Simply because he was there. Simply because he didn't get distracted. Simply because he was willing to listen to the prophetic mandate of a now season and ask God, what do you want me to do now? What should I be doing today? If you don't know, here's, let me just say this in closing. You can stand to your feet or help me close a little bit quicker because then I'll feel bad for you. And... But we approach life with God as this Father, Heavenly Father. Where do you want me today, Heavenly Father? I don't start my day that way. See, when it's school time, and my kids know it's school time, for my son to come down from his room and say, Father, oh thou Father, what is it that thou would like me to do with today? Okay, well, first of all, what day is it? I want you to get your butt upstairs, get dressed, brush your teeth, sit down, eat your breakfast, get ready, and go to school. But sometimes we approach God with this, Lord. Do you know the easiest thing to be in the will of God? Is it whatever he puts in front of you? Just do it. Know the day. All right, well, have any of us become millionaires overnight? If so, I'm, just, I'm, I'm always putting that question out there because I need to talk to you about tithing real quick. <laughs> if not, then we're probably all going to have to go to work Monday morning. So guess what? Monday morning, the will of God for you is to get up, go to work, and work as unto the Lord. Love people who are in front of you, serve God to the best of your ability, read his word, and just be present. Right, like the will of God for you is to love your family well. You don't need to wake up and say, Lord, what is it that thou would say to me today about ministering to my family? Give me revelation. No, get up, go love your wife, go love your kids, you know, provide for them, do whatever it is you have to do, and that's the will of God. It's not that hard. Whatever he puts in front of you, just do it. And you're fine that when you're faithful in that, because what we like to do is, no, 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 that can't be God. That's not, no, that's not big enough. It's not big enough. God, would, he'd have me do something real big. No. He'd probably have you start with something real small, Amen. insignificant, and see if you can lean into that. Because he said, if you can lean into the small, he who is faithful with little, I will make faithful with much. Father, we thank you today for this word. And Lord, we ask and we pray that as we've gathered around this word, you would continue to speak to us and to our hearts about what it is that you would ask us and call us to lean into. That we wouldn't be so distracted about what's coming tomorrow, that what's been happening yesterday, that we would miss what's in front of us today. Teach us to be present. Teach us to love our families. Teach us to love those around us. Teach us to love everything you've put in front of us and help us do it with all of our heart, our mind, and our strength. In Jesus' name.
Let the church say amen.